it's butt naked time. Get ready to enjoy an earful of auditory indulgence as you explore Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, presented in cooperation with Workman Publishing. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 1,000 Recordings Podcast, episode 30. I'm your host, Anthony Joseph Landman, and with me, as always, is Hepcat Mitchell Davis. Hey, what's how's up? it going? It's going good, man. How are you? Good, good. It's been a been a while. A lot of stuff has has transpired in the last couple of weeks since we last talked. Uh-huh. Um, yep, graduations. Yeah, all kinds of crazy stuff. But we're back. It feels good to be back. It does. It does. Definitely. And um, uh, yeah, yeah. Very hot. well yeah i'm sure it is in houston it's uh it gets punishingly so uh sometimes but um but yeah yeah we've got some some hot stuff this week yeah that was terrible uh uh, we're gonna start with uh lord buckley and uh really interesting guy performer uh oh, yeah. then we're gonna go with uh tim buckley father of jeff buckley um then we're gonna move on to new orleans sensation buckwheat zydeco and uh we're gonna follow that with buffalo springfield and then we're gonna end with uh, an album by uh, the bulgarian women's national radio and television chorus which uh is you know, don't be put off by that. It's it's an unbelievably interesting and uh, beautiful and unique album. So uh, yeah, they they definitely have a a style on their all their own. Kind of kind of makes you wonder. You know, I mean, it's just a very a strong tradition that's been brought into the future, so to speak. Uh, interesting uh, story on them too. Uh, Really, yeah. really, really, really good music from from them. I like them a lot. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, we'll get to them, but we're gonna start with Lord Buckley, uh, the album His Royal Hipness, released in 1992. So this is kind of a, I guess, is kind of a greatest hits record. Yeah, right? looking so, at the, the the tracks on it, the, looks like uh, like a retrospective. I think he had about about 15 actual releases like like records released while he was alive i guess yeah yeah uh, and this looks like something that came after his his passing like a collection of his best some of his best stuff yeah well yeah long after his passing i mean he passed in 1960 and uh these recordings were made in the 50s um uh well, I think all of his recordings were made in the 50s. He might have yeah. made one in 60, but I'm not sure. Um, and uh, he had a really interesting career. Um, very interesting. You know, not a huge selling artist, but one that was kind of loved by a lot of other uh, 
big selling artists and powerful people in the entertainment industry. Uh, and, uh, you know, th- this isn't really, there's not really much music on this, <laughs> on this disc. Um, I mean, sometimes he would perform with musicians playing music, but it's really kind of more of a spoken word performance. Yeah. Um, uh, almost yeah. closer to what you would hear on a, like a deaf poetry jam today or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, and he would. Uh, what he would do is he would uh, usually tell a lot of times like historical um, diatribes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like one uh, based on Jesus and one based on Gandhi, and uh, which we're going to hear. Yeah, but you know, sort of done in this really over the top beatnik hipster style and language um of the 50s so yeah that's that's pretty much putting it in a nutshell uh his um his style of speak i think was it was almost like it had a life of its own uh where it would it would it would sort of sort of mutate if you will <laughs> Um, and, and he, he had, he had such a, a way of, of taking words and, and, and changing them and manipulating them and, and, and doing it seemingly on the fly, you know, um, where, you know, once you kind of got into what he was saying, because I mean, you know, from, from your initial first listen, I mean, you're kind of like, what the hell is he talking about? You know, <laughs> but, you know, listening to especially like like you were talking about, you know, um, his take on Jesus, like the Naz. I mean, when you kind of listen to him, you know, giving his spin on that, you know, calling, you know, Jesus a carpenter kitty, you know, and you're like, OK, oh, he's just he's just kind of laying out the, the history of Jesus, but in, in his own sort of very unique and special way, you know. Um, and I, I think that, you know, he, he definitely was was a huge influence, you know, as far as I guess what you would call the, you know, like you said, the spoken word or, or poetry circle, the, the, you know, the beat generation, the, you know, Jack Kerouac and the, the like there. Um, and, you know, as well as, I mean, they, they, they talked about in, you know, the, I guess the article I'm looking at here now, you know, Bob Dylan, and, you know, Tom Waits, Dizzy Gillespie. And and I guess like you were saying, like there, there is very little music. The music is more like a just like an element to kind of help things along. You know, I mean, it's it's not necessarily the focus. I mean, his his words are definitely, you know, the the, the focus here. And then sometimes his words, that's all you will hear is just him. Yeah. You know, going off. And like you said, it. You know, it's just his his spin on on a variety of things that that makes his style. I mean, so very very unique, so very cool. You know, and 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 hip. I, I mean, that's a word that you don't really hear anymore. But he was he was he was extraordinarily hip. Yeah, uh, man, for the nineteen fifties. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> yeah, 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 and, incre- uh, incredibly. Just to, probably to the point of where. You know, people consider him, you know, pretty much a subversive, um, uh-huh. someone who, 
I guess probably was was you know you know considered a threat. Um, well, I think that was um, confirmed in the whole business in 1960 with the uh, the them revoking his what they called a cabaret card. It was like a card, a card, you know, a card that you had to carry in order to be able to perform in New York in clubs yeah. and in other venues in New York. And, and, uh, in 1960, his cabaret card was confiscated. Um, and the basis for that was an arrest in 1941 for marijuana possession, man, so, isn't that so, crazy? Yeah, they're taking his card away based on an arrest that happened almost twenty years before. Yeah, which you know, it was BS, and I think everybody knew it was BS. And uh, you know, somebody was trying to keep him from from appearing in front of audiences. You know, that was a time yeah. of great paranoia in the united states oh yeah uh with uh, the whole joseph mccarthy thing uh with um you know j edgar hoover in in the cia and in the cold war and all that stuff and people being, yeah people I'm being sure, blacklisted and all that yeah. i'm sure he was on a variety of lists yeah um, yeah I mean, someone who who openly smoked marijuana someone who openly you know loved jazz music as you would you know consider you know jazz you know the you know the devil's music back then and, and, and had a, a style of speak and, and a language that was, you know, not initially able to be understood by a lot of people. So most, most government agents kind of figured, you know, he's speaking in code, you know, what is he doing? You know, he, he you know, we, we got to figure this guy out. And, and, and his language did have a code or almost even like a DNA of its own, you know, yeah. where it was, it was very unique and very particular to him. And um, yeah. that drew all sorts of good and bad attention, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I can only imagine what these people would have thought hearing this kind of stuff back in the 50s, because now we have the benefit of, you know, historical hindsight. And we know what a lot of this hipster language means. Yeah, you know, but back then when he was doing it, it must have seemed like a foreign language. To these people, they must have had no idea what he was talking about. So, um, well, yeah, and I'm sure that for the most part, some people were just kind of like you know trying to pick up on whatever they could. Yeah, as, as far as he was, as far as his speaking, somebody that I, I think about like now, um, whenever I I kind of think about people, you know, with lyrics and, and words that. You know, it may take you sometimes maybe like a few days or weeks or maybe even months to catch what what they were saying is uh is is De La Soul. There's just one of those those rap groups that they never are, are really typical in the way they they try to get across a point. And, and they're one of those groups. I'll, I'll go back and listen to one of their records and be like, oh, you know, I, OK, they they were coming at this subject from a whole different perspective and unlike that I, I didn't imagine with what they might say. And, and he's, he's almost in the, in the same vein where, you know, he, he, he was very particular about, I mean, he wasn't just, you know, just spurting out whatever, you know, I mean, he, he had a point that he was always seemingly trying to make, you know, it wasn't just stuff that right off the top of his head. Yeah. Um, And sometimes it would take a while 
for you to get it. And I think that's what some of his his peers and the people that that you know rallied around him, especially once he got in trouble. Uh, apparently, he was a very good friend of Ed Sullivan, uh, which that's I mean, especially back in that day, that was a very good friend to have. I mean, Ed <laughs> yeah. Sullivan was like the man. Uh, Quincy Jones, Norman Mailer, um, you know, they they stood up for him when his, you know, they they basically took his card away from him and he couldn't perform. And, you know, that's another thing, too, about about the card that it apparently afterwards kind of changed the whole way, you know, that system worked, the the cabaret card system. I mean, they 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 apparently had um, laws brought up to abolish that system and and then the way they would blacklist performers yeah and, you know because obviously he wasn't the only one I'm, I'm i'm sure there were quite a few um people i mean like josephine baker somebody that comes to mind that they had to go back to performing where they would go overseas when they couldn't perform here in america um because of you know things that they would say or 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 you know not you know and I, and I hate to say it like this, but it was true, not paying off the right people, because that was another part right, of the, right, right. the whole cabaret card system where you had to you had to give these payoffs to to perform, you know, which, you know, again, you know, just just a very corrupt and yes. you know, devious system that was in place. But anyway, um just uh just the fact that he could just take a subject like like Edgar Allan Poe's the Raven. And, and give a whole new spin on it that was not quite like the original or or like we're we're going to talk about in this this first track we're going to hear where he he takes you know Shakespeare and gives a, a, a different spin and the way he does it you know the way you recognize it but it's it's not it's definitely not the original um, he had such a unique you know ability to to transform you know classic you know, pieces and, and make them oh, yeah. his own. Well, I think know. the first track we're going to play is Hip Gan. Oh, that's right. we got to right, play I'm that sorry. first. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm totally getting ahead of You're getting ahead of yourself. Um, yeah, do you want to talk about the Hip, hip Gan? Well, it's his take on, on, on Gandhi and, yeah. and how his his idea of, of, of Gandhi's, you know, I guess working for peace in, in India was was kind of set up like a an, an orchestration of a band, you know, uh, all set together uh, and, and how all the different parties, you know, Gandhi tried to sort of, you know, work that out like a band leader or, or a drum major, you know, for peace. Um, and I, I, I love, uh, I, I love the way he, he takes words and, 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 and kind of, stretches them or or totally reworks them or just invents new words seemingly um that just you know like i said sometimes you have to you have to sit and and, and go through what he's saying maybe a couple of times before it, it all resonates yeah but i mean you know it's it, it's it's like music but it's but it's not you know um <laughs> for lack of a better way of saying it you know it, it it's 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 there's arrangements and, and orchestrations and what he's doing, but it, but it's all, it's all you know dialect the, the the very unique dialect that he that he would carry 
it's so many times I when I listen to him, and I mean, I, I'm assuming he he was born in California, I think, and his his parents kind of migrated. I mean, his parents were English, I guess, and they just they went from place to place as as he was a child. And I wonder if that that had an influence on on his style of speak, the the different places where he he came up. Sometimes I hear I hear New York, sometimes I hear New Orleans. You know, I mean, he's yeah, got all yeah. kinds of stuff going on in in his in his dialect and his accent and the way he talks is that sometimes it's really difficult to figure out. And I mean, I, I guess that, that that could be from, you know, having, you know, a nomadic upbringing, so to speak. Um, but he's got all kinds of stuff in in in, in the sound of his voice um, that's going on. But but back to the, you know, the the subject at hand, the uh, the. Hip Gan is is just you know seemingly like a an endearing sort of tribute of his to to Gandhi and um, and the way that you know he his perception of Gandhi's you know like I said strive for peace and and the way you know he he talks about you know the the different parties all being sections of a of an orchestra so to speak. Um, I just yeah, I, or more I, more like a jazz group. Yeah, really. there you go. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and the horns and the drums and, and 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 I mean I I I just I love the way you know his uh, his take on that kind of kind of comes out. Um, yeah, well, yeah, and he's talking about you know they got the instruments to do this, the instruments to do that, and the the. <laughs> the loot heads and then all this stuff, you know, lit listing off all the things and they play this concert and then finally gets to the end and Gandhi's like, well, that was great, but I didn't hear the instrument that I wanted to hear. And the guy's like, what, you know, we had all this stuff. You didn't hear what you wanted to hear. And he said, no, you know, and basically he's like, my instrument is the spinning wheel. And it goes, and I think that's, you know, at first I was like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I think the spinning wheel is a euphemism for his, uh, you know, peaceful approach and protest, uh, you know, against the British. Um, you know, I think. I mean, I'm guess you know, I'm still not like 100 yeah. percent sure, but um, yeah. Anyway, let's let's uh, let's play this. Okay, um, and and, and I, I thought about that too. I mean, maybe. Maybe I mean when you have the spinning wheel, I mean it's it's like the knitting together the fabric of of what makes you know right. Yeah, like I said, you know we 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 may have to you know come back next week and be, oh there that's what he meant you know. <laughs> but it, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's let's check this out um, from the Hip Gan by Lord Buckley. You know what to blow when the saint comes marching in. They say groovy. So here come the gang with the 26 chicks with the horn rim glasses and 19 nanny goats and two spinning wheels. And he looks so sharp and so fine and so groovy because he got a nice clean white dow down and the, the love light is beaming through his glasses and gassing the whole scene. And they swing him in and they sit him down on some nice groovy sofa pillars, silken that is, and they, they cool the nanny goats and the chicks all cuddle and they start to blow. And my lords and my ladies, I'm going to hip you. You may heard a lot of jam 
sessions blown off. You may have heard of New Orleans flips. You may have heard of Chicago style. You may have heard of all kinds of jazz jumping the wildest and the most insane. You may have heard of many musical insane flips, but you studs and stallions and cats and kiddies never dug any session like these cats blew. They wailed so hard that the snakes in the jungle picked up on the lick and come stomping in for the session had to send out the snake guards saying no dancing tonight boys we just hipping again that's all we play a little jam session brought the poor snakes clean down and they had to send around the wig tappers you see what I mean say Jack I can't put that wig back on you man you, it's going in the same hole you blowing too hard you got to cool yourself for a little while and they're blowing up such a crazy groovy scene that it was W for your head and when the scene was all over Mr. Rabidee, the Indian pot thriller, he swing over to the hip gun and he do a nice swinging bow and he say, Oh, great, sweet, swinging, groovy, double clutching, high, non-stop, pine top go of all double swings in beauty. And the hip gun say, well, if I ain't, I'm a big, fat, groovy pole on a rough hill on the way there. He said, tell me something. You see, he's a very hip cat, the hip gun was. He said, tell me something. Did you dig the scene? And the hip gun said, baby, when I hear them rabbity players and the dong-dong players and the bloom-bloom players and the flip heads and the loot heads and the reed heads and all these bars wailing up such an insane love breeze, it brought to me the beauty and the mysticism and the wonder and the gorgeous theme and the gorgeous swing and all the great wild non-stop ethereal that is Mother India. And that was the hip gan and we're going to move on to his take on Mark Antony's funeral oration from Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. And uh, this is a famous uh you know excerpt from that play yeah and what i did is uh and i suggest that everybody do everybody do this uh when i was listening to this especially if you're going to go and listen to it all the way through uh pull up the actual shakespeare you know i mean you can find it online uh, just google you know, Mark Antony's funeral oration or whatever. And you can find it and just look at it while you're listening to this. Mm. It's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, uh, he basically just, just goes down and recites this uh, oration in this kind of very Shakespearean British actor voice. Uh, but he changes all the lines, you know, to fit his hipster style. So... I'm just going to um, read the first four lines of like the play and then his, what he does with them. So, it, you know, the the opening line of the play, sorry, the not the play, the uh, oration yeah. is uh, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears, right? He changes that to hipsters, flipsters, and finger popping daddies, knock me your lobes. Then uh, the next line is, uh, I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. He changes that to, I came to lay Caesar out, not to hip you to him. Mm. Uh, then the line is, the evil that men do lives after them. And then he changes that to, the bad jazz that a cat blows wails long after he's cut out. Uh, then the last one, or the fourth line is, uh, 
The good is oft interred with their bones. And he says, the groovy is often stashed with their frames. So this, it just goes like this. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. What did you think of this? Well, you know, like I said, is it's just him taking a, a very, you know, like you said, a tr- very traditional piece or oration and, and kind of giving his own spin or interpretation of, of, of how he wants it. Uh, a very unique one at that. I mean, I, I, I really don't know of anybody else quite like him. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there were other people that talked like him, uh, but, but not like on this, this stage. I mean, I, I, not that I know of. Um, yeah. And it is, it's just really fun to, to listen to some of the things that he's saying that, that are still somewhat cool now, even though it was, you know, years ago when this was first done and, um, to, to get into the, the dialect of, of his words and, and try to, you know, consider where the, where the, where the inspiration came from. I mean, a lot of times when you hear slang and, and different words and, and nicknames and all that kind of stuff, you always wonder where does this stuff come from, <laughs> you know? And I mean, I'm sure he was a, a major inspiration for a lot of people, but I, I often wondered where his inspiration came from. I'm, I'm sure quite a few of, you know, the jazz musicians at the time that, that were, were very hip and, and very into, you know, the, the, that style of speak. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really, really, you know, sort of, uh, I guess the, I guess, I guess the word is just my, my curiosity has been really peaked at, at, at where a lot of this, a lot of this is, is, is inspired from. Um, and, uh, you know, just it's it's very very cool to to see him, you know, sort of lay out, you know, something that you know for for years and years and years has been considered, you know, you know, kind of like one way and and kind of totally flip it, you know, and and a lot like a jazz musician, but just not with an, an instrument, but with you know words and 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 sometimes you know you know wild alliteration and some sound effects that he would have here and there and yeah but uh just just really really cool yeah yeah really cool um yeah let's check this out the last track from lord buckley this is mark antony's funeral oration hipsters flipsters and finger popping daddies knock me your lobes I came to lay Caesar out, not to hip you to him. The bad jazz that a cat blows wears long after he's cut out. The groovy is often stashed with their frames. So don't put Caesar down. The swinging Brutus has laid a story on you that Caesar was hungry for power. If it were so, it was a sad drag, and sadly hath the Caesar cat answered it. Here, with a pass from Brutus and the other brass, for Brutus is a worthy stud, yea, so are they all worthy studs, though their stallions never sleep. 
I came to wail at Caesar's wake. He was my buddy. And he leveled with me. Yet Brutus digs that he has eyes for power. And Brutus is his solid cat. It is true he hath returned with many freaks in chains. Brought them home to Rome. Yea, the looty was booty, and hip the treasury well. Dost thou dig that this was Caesar's groove for the push? When the cats with the empty kicks hath copped out. Yea, Caesar hath copped out too, and cried of a storm to be a world grabber, a stiffer if must be blown. And we just heard Mark Antony's funeral oration by Lord Buckley. Um, and yes, I mean, there was, in the, those tracks that we played, and a lot of those tracks, you know, there's no music, right? It's just spoken word, but, um, you know, just to be open to anything. I mean, when I first heard it, I was confused because I was like, oh, this isn't music. What's going on? But the book is titled 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, not yeah. 1,000, you know. True. <laughs> it's not necessarily, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be music. But um, anyway, yeah, that stuff is kind of musical in its own way. But uh, yeah, let's move on to Tim Buckley, uh, his album Dream Letter Live in London 1968, and which I guess was released in 1991. Um, and, uh, you know, live performance of uh, him in London 1968. And Tim Buckley, I guess, you know, for us living in the 21st century, immediately the first thing we think of him is he's Jeff Buckley's father, right? <laughs> yeah, for the most part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, talk about Jeff being a chip off the old block. Man, um, so many similarities between Tim and Jeff. Um as far as you know in the way they sang and and a lot of the things they did musically and uh it, it's really interesting to think about uh and hear these similarities and know that you know um jeff did not grow up with tim he didn't mm -hmm. know tim uh, apparently he only met tim very briefly once when he was eight years old and uh, Tim Buckley, you know, died in uh, 1976. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, any initial thoughts on Tim Buckley for you? Well, um, definitely, uh, you know, massive influence on, on, I guess, what you would consider somewhat, you know, well, not somewhat, but massive considering a massive influence on folk music uh and and the the style of music especially on, on this recording uh it's it's a great live recording by the way where it's i mean it's really simple you know for the most part it's just him his voice and a guitar you know and and little audience participation here and there um but yeah um definitely uh you know the, the the parallels, especially with his death, it, with it being kind of untimely and, and and tragic, uh, you know, that's that's 
that's a bit eerie. Uh, you know, almost like Bruce Lee and, and his son, Brandon Lee. I mean, that's one thing whenever I think about the two of them, um, that, that's one another pairing that I think about where they, you know, two guys really, really kind of, you know, famous, but dying relatively young, you know, and, and suddenly where it was like, you know, what, what just happened, you know? Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, definitely, a, a, you know, a great voice, great songwriter, um, you know, very, really decent guitar player as well. Um, and, uh, some of this, uh, Recording because I've heard some of his music before, but this this was the first time I'd, I'd heard this album. I mean, you know, some some very pleasant stuff. I mean, really good stuff. I mean, more than just pleasant. I mean, some some beautifully written and played stuff. I mean, you know, just kind of great atmosphere. And, and I yeah. mean, just uh, you know, he he had a, a you know kind of a great sense for for arrangement. You know, a lot like you know his son. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm sure, I mean, even though, like you said, they, they really did not, you know, kind of know each other. I, I'm sure somehow or another, his, his father is a, got, got to have some, some sort of influence on him. I mean, you know, maybe not directly, but, you know, in, in his style of, of writing and, and, and performance, I mean, some of that must've carried over, um, to what, what Jeff did, but, um, when, like I said, when I, when I first, uh, kind of listened to this, I mean, I, I, I thought about, uh, a lot of other folk musicians like, like Bob Dylan, uh, and, and Joan Baez and the like who, who kind of had the, the same style as him, but, you know, he, he didn't seem to, you know, kind of keep that, you know, throughout his career. It seemed like he changed, uh, quite a bit, you know, as his, his career went on from from folk to you know kind of avant-garde stuff even some funk and soul stuff which you know again you know just carried on over to you know like you said you know the sort of chip off the, chip off the old block you know where yeah. you you have a son that 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 takes a variety of influences and, and carries it on into what he does and yeah you know again like you said it it, it, the fact that they they really didn't grow he didn't grow up with his dad i mean i guess it just you know is it in the dna or the genes right or? yeah that's the that's the question i mean even their voices a lot of the stuff that tim buckley started doing in the late 60s into the 70s in his more experimental period he started to experiment with his own voice and he had a really wide range you know could go way up in the falsetto and down into the baritone range yeah. And would experiment with his voice as instrument, and Jeff Buckley absolutely did this. Oh yeah, all over the yeah. place. Um, yeah, it's just interesting. Yeah, the, the first uh, track that we're gonna hear is uh, called "Pleasant Street," and uh, you know Tim Buckley in this setting. You know he's playing this twelve-string guitar, acoustic guitar. You know it's it's like kind of slightly out of tune, and uh, you know it has this sort of otherworldly chorused sound to it um and the chords that he's playing with the harmonies you know uh, of his songs are, are really interesting to me you know there's these sort of open chords these kind of extent what's what's uh, referred to as extended harmonies you know these harmonies that 
oftentimes you would hear it in jazz and not popular music and definitely not folk music. And uh, one of the reasons that apparently that he would play these is that he suffered a football injury in high school to his fingers and he couldn't play bar chords. So he would come up with all these different uh, chord voicings, you know, that that were unusual Mm. and uh, cool, you know, and just lended this cool sound, um, kind of different sound to uh, his music. Uh, And I think that you didn't really hear a lot, especially in the 60s and like this folk sort of folk rock music. Um, Yeah. What do you think of Pleasant Street? Um. When I first initially listened to it, and the the lyrics, it it it, it sounds kind of you know almost as if it's it's sort of like a, a, a I guess a moderate protest song uh, in the in the chorus. Uh, I'm trying to remember the exact chorus where the he he brings up uh, what sounds like a it's it's sort of like a, a jab at uh, so-called Christians. Um, you know, it's like you people dressed in your in your in your Christian clothes. I think that's I think that's kind of like what the lyric says. Um, and I, and then he goes back. You know, I can't wait till I get to Pleasant Street. Um, yeah. And I, I I'm assuming that's that's just him kind of you know dealing with you know a, a society that's sort of you know oppressive and and, and trying to you know push their you know values on you know people that don't necessarily want them and um you know i i um definitely love the way like you said the the way the guitar sounds um i mean it's i mean it's it's very very you know very very simple you know but but tuned in enough to where you know you you get the feel of him kind of like you said trying to you know make something you know different as far as the chords and and the way um you know he plays you know against his vocal and um you know i uh i definitely like especially for a live recording uh it, it sounds very very good um you know his his performance and um you know i i imagine you know he probably would have been really really fun to see live um you know, just uh, in a setting like this, you know, where it's just it's just him and and not much else. I mean, you can kind of hear some some instruments here and there, you know, that that come in and out. Sometimes I, you know, but but for the most part, it's 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 not much but just him, his voice, and that guitar, and and it it, it comes off really well on this recording. Yeah, yeah. Let's check it out. The uh, cool. this uh, excerpt from uh, Tim Buckley's Pleasant Street. What's it? You 
don't remember what to do You don't remember where to go You don't remember who to choose You will, you steal, you kneel You feel down, 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 And we just heard Pleasant Street, and we're going to move on to Dream Letter slash Happy Time. This is kind of a like two songs put together. Um, it starts with, uh, yeah, this song Dream Letter. And, uh, you know, when I was listening to the song, especially when it gets into the song Happy Time, uh, I immediately was like, you know, it starts the main guitar riff for Happy Time. It's sort of dee 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 and da 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 and dee 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 and da. This sort of uh, riff that I was like, I was listening to it and I was like, you know, that's really close to the main riff of Last Goodbye of Jeff Buckley. So then I went and listened to Last Goodbye. I was like, yeah, this is like almost the same thing. Uh, the the rhythm is slightly different. Um, for last goodbye it's in a different key but the chord the this two chord progression back and forth it's the same it's the it's the same two chords uh, different keys but the same two chords and the rhythm is almost the same and the strumming pattern the tempo everything is is almost the same mm-hmm. um so you know i i started thinking you know it's like and this is all speculation but it's it's like you know it's is this conscious, you know, on Jeff Buckley's part, uh, you know, and the, the, the lyrical content of last goodbye, um, you know, does this somehow related to his father? Um, uh, and then I started listening to dream letter. So the first part of this track and dream letter is like, I'm pretty sure it's like a letter to Jeff Buckley, but as a baby, because at hmm. this time and during this concert, Jeff Buckley was two years old. And uh, it's a in dream letter. He's talking about it's almost like a letter to his ex-wife about the baby saying, you know, does, you know, I can't remember the exact lyrics, but it's it's like this kind of thing. Like, does he remember me? Do, do you talk about me? Does he do this? Does he do that? Yeah. And uh, so, you know, it could cause my mind to race and speculation of, you know, was dream letter a letter from Tim to Jeff and his last goodbye, a letter from Jeff to Tim. 
you know um, yeah that's that's an interesting point I, I i didn't really consider that but that 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 very well could be you know something that that was a thing i mean and you know kind of looking at it closer i mean you look you look a lot closer than i did i mean that that would be really interesting because uh, definitely i mean obviously the the mood between the two songs i mean it it it, it it changes obviously as they they progress i mean from you know dream letter kind of being a little more solemn to you know happy time you know kind of going with the title you know where it it, it picks up and and the mood gets a lot you know a lot more joyous i mean that that's something i noticed from right off but you know that that very well could have been the case i mean that would have been really you know an interesting take and then to have you know you know Jeff come along and 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 kind of answer him, you know, sort of in his own own method, you know. And I mean, and who knows what's going on now? I mean, in in the in the spirit, so to speak. I mean, they, you know, they they could be having, you know, a jam session, you know, as we sit here. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, that that's that, but that's that's really that's really interesting. I did, I never really thought about that. That that's. That very well could have been the case, I guess. Yeah, well, like I said, I mean, it's 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 pure speculation on on my part, but the similarities and stuff were were so, uh, I don't know, just so close, and and I just thought, well, you know, th- there might be something to this. This is too much to be just coincidence, I think. But yeah, uh, yeah, but, I think you're right. But musically speaking, um, it, you know. This song is uh, like the other one. It's Tim with his guitar, you know, strumming his guitar, but he's he's also got this vibraphone player and another electric guitarist. Yeah. And they're kind of, you know, framing his strumming with this sort of improvisatory motion. It's really cool. I mean, it's it's yeah. like um uh you know, it it's it sort of it's it's like a great fusion first of all uh, of, you know, this folk rock and uh, jazz elements. Mm-hmm. And it kind of points to where Tim Buckley was heading, you know, in the preceding years after this concert, you know. But I think it, it provides just a really cool, just sort of like halo of sound around around Tim, you know, and what he's yeah. doing. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree that the atmosphere, especially like the vibraphone in, on this track, it, it, it creates a wonderful atmosphere for this song. And I... I, again, like I said, it's 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 nothing real complicated, you know. Just just kind of you know real simple elements that surround what he's already doing, and um, you know, it it's it's a very very cool arrangement, especially for a live setting that uh that I really like. Um, you know, just uh like I said, the sound of this recording is is really really nice. I mean, you know, the so many live recordings come off. You know, with with you know too much noise here or there, but this one is not like that at all. Um, it's just very clear, very pleasant. You know, most of the tracks like like this one, you know, have some really cool elements underneath. You know what what Jeff is doing, and uh, you know, just kind of makes for 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 a very great sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's check it out. This last track from Tim Buckley. This is Dream Letter, Happy Time.
happy time inside my mind When a melody does find a rhyme And says to me I'm coming home to stay Oh, I'm coming home to stay I'm coming home to stay And we just heard Dream Letter, Happy Time of Tim Buckley. And we're going to move on to our third album this week, Buckwheat Zydeco, Buckwheat's Zydeco Party, released in 1987. And uh, this is definitely party music. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Buckwheat Zydeco, um, spearheaded by Stanley Durrell Jr., who's he, he is Buckwheat Zydeco. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's his stage name. And, uh, you know, this album was recorded, I think, just before they were signed to a major label. And, uh, you know, I don't know Buckwheat Zydeco's uh discography you know I'm, i've heard a, a few tunes here and there in the past but uh, according to tom moon um this is like buckwheat zydeco at, at their strongest so this is before the time when they went on to major label stardom which according to him kind of kind of tainted them a little bit um but yeah what do you think of buckwheat zydeco well you know i i would i would kind of agree with with what what you just said there, where, where Tom Moon said it, once he kind of went on a major labels, it his music kind of changed a little bit, at least the potency of it. I mean, he he still was was Buckwheat Zydeco, um, but he went on to kind of you know do more you know, I guess radio friendly, if you will, Zydeco music, if that makes sense. Uh, uh, like for instance, he had a song he did he he redid Hate Hey Good Looking, like a Hank Williams song with with a uh, Dwight Yoakam. I remember that getting played on like VH1 back in the day, you know. So I mean, that's that and that stuff. That was good. I mean, that was all right. But this record, I mean, it is. It's like smoking buckwheat Zydeco, yeah. like in in the club Zydeco club, like stomping, two stepping buckwheat Zydeco, which is is not the same stuff as what he he did, you know, later, and. um you know, when you when you read about him, he he had a band. I mean, his band was. I mean, apparently they are they were tough. I mean, you know, just like you said, you know, very upbeat party groove. You know, I mean, to to stand up there on that stage with that accordion and and get down like he does. I mean, you know, and and pull a house. I, I'm sure he has 
I mean, whenever he goes on tour, especially, you know, you know, coming down south, I mean, he he packs them in. I mean, the, the guy had 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 so much energy and 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 I mean, he still does. I mean, you know, on stage and, um, you know, just uh, I would say a Zydeco pioneer. I mean, you know, I mean, it's yeah. it's in his name, obviously. Yeah. And I mean, so many people, I think mm. I, I feel like, you know, owe a lot to to Buckwheat Zydeco. I mean, the Zydeco music is one of those things that, you know, I, I would say outside of, you know, Texas and Louisiana and, and places like that, weren't, weren't, it was not taken as seriously uh, it, like it is now. I mean, Zydeco is, is a force now where you have a, a variety of Zydeco artists. But, you know, back in the day, you know, you know, you really couldn't think of too many Zydeco artists, especially like him, that that had kind of nationwide, you know, notoriety. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, he he's just one of those people that he's beloved. I mean, I, I'm reading about him here where um, apparently he's uh you know he's played. I mean, he's played all over the world. He played. He played at the Summer Olympics in 1996. <laughs> uh, okay. He's played for President Clinton at, at his uh, both his inaugurations, um, and I mean he he you know and I mean that that's that's for itself you know playing for President Clinton says you know they they're a party man already you know so um, you know and he's he apparently still going uh, 64 and and, and still still doing his thing so to speak you know yeah um, that's awesome yeah this this music uh it's so prevalent around the gulf coast region i mean not just in new orleans i mean even though it originated in new orleans uh it you know hearing this and listening to this album reminds me of so many like outdoor festivals in houston and <laughs> yeah, you know yeah you know what i mean i know you know what yeah, i mean definitely. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. And the thing. The thing about it, like I said, you know, so many people owe. I, I feel like owe Buckwheat a, a a debt of gratitude. I mean, a, a lot of the, you know, younger Zydeco players now, you know, who you know is, it's it's easier to break into the business as a Zydeco artist. I would say these days than it was when when Buckwheat was doing it. Um, you know, because because Zydeco was was not as you know, accepted. I mean, it's. I mean, it, it's. It's been popular, you know, on the Gulf Coast, but it's. It's way popular now. I mean, I, when my wife and I went to Kima um, about a month ago, and I mean, the first thing you hear when you get out is Zydeco music. I mean, over the loudspeaker when you when you. I mean, you first get out of out of your vehicle. That's that's the first thing that's going. I mean, years back that was not the case, you know. And I yeah. mean, we get there. There is a live band. I mean, and then they're playing Zydeco music, you know, for a good long time. They get off. Another band comes up and they're playing Zydeco music. And I'm like, man, you know, Zydeco is it is it is the the party music here in, in Texas and in Louisiana. I mean, you know, it's it's what you if you want to get down, you know, for the most part, that's what people want to hear here. And uh and along the Gulf Coast and a, a variety of places. And uh uh, this the I think the first song we're going to listen to, uh, I mean it's it's just a great example of that uh, a hot tamale baby. Yeah, uh, it's like the opening track on this record, and when I I first listened to it, I was like, oh man, we got to play this. I mean, it's just a great example of, you know, 
what he's about and what good, you know, I guess what you would call foot stump and Zydeco is, is like. So, uh huh. Yeah. So like super high energy. And it seems like, you know, the, the Zydeco formula is that it gets into this really tight groove and it just, it just stays there. Right. Yeah. So it just stays in the same harmonic place. It doesn't move around. It just gets in this groove and just goes and uh, usually it's the accordion that um, sort of breaks out and, and plays around, you know, yeah. a- around that groove. But yeah, um, that's that they're, they're on the one like like George Clinton would say. But but the harmonica kind of goes here and there. And I mean, James Brown, too. You know, they like that groove does not it does not change. Like you said, it, it stays right there. And, and it's it is this one is fast and, and very furious. And the harmonica just kind of, you know, I'm a harmonica. The accordion, you know, just just kind of plays around and 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 kind of meanders here and there. And, and that's another thing about him; he is a phenomenal accordion player. I mean, you know, the accordion is usually you so often, you know, don't think of parties and accordions going together, you know, right? Unless but, it's uh, Oktoberfest or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and, that, and that's another thing about Zydeco music is that so much, I, I think, at times, there's an influence of, of polka that, that comes in here and there. Um, and I, I'm sure I, I guess that has a lot to do with, you know, you know German settlers that, that came to Texas and Louisiana and, you know, you know over the course of yeah, time. I think that, more, more Texas than Louisiana because there were a lot of Germans that came to Texas. I'm yeah, not, I'm, Fr- don't French think more in, in Louisiana. Louisiana yeah. yeah. But, but I mean, just Texas and Louisiana are so close. Yeah. yeah. You know, that, 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 that it, it, it kind of goes back and forth. And I mean, I would definitely say that, that the, the polka influence is, is definitely there somewhere when it comes to Zydeco coming up. And even Tejano music, too, where. You know the accordion is is obviously a big thing there. I mean, I, I would yeah. say that that there's a massive polka influence in, in Tejano music, which most Tejano artists would probably look upside my head. But hey, you know, it's <laughs> it's, the, it's the truth. You know, <laughs> you know that's where a lot of that sound came from. And, you know that that you know that's yeah it's yeah. polka. You yeah. know, but sometimes it it gets slowed down even more, and then sometimes it gets sped up way faster than than what the original polka ideal would have been. So, Yeah, yeah. Well, let's check this out. This first track from Buckwheat Zydeco. This is Hot Tamale Baby. Hot 
Tamale Baby, and we're going to move on to Zydeco La Louisiane. Um, and I thought we'd play this one because uh, it's just kind of an indicative example of what Zydeco is and what it's kind of what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an instrumental and uh, just sort of an instrumental jam, instrumental groove. Um, you know, Durrell's accordion. It has a very particular sound, you know, a sound that that really is. I mean, you know, it really, like you said, does come from a sort of polka sound, but mm-hmm. it's that very particular sound, you know, that you associate with Zydeco. Um, and, uh, you know, this one has like a, the same sort of groove is like harmonically static groove, um, you know, that stays in the same place pretty much the whole time and instruments kind of play around it. It's kind of like. I don't know. Kind of like sets up this uh, instrumental sandbox, you know, that that various people can just play around in for a while. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think of Zydeco La Louisiane? Uh, very festive. I mean, when I listen to it, that's that's just the the feeling and the mood that I get. That is, when when you have this song going on, I mean, it's you know somebody's birthday somebody just got married you know we're we're having a a party for whatever reason i mean it, it just you know really intense rhythm and groove that's i mean it's it's almost ridiculous i mean the way the drums are and and like you said the way the accordion kind of just slides across that groove i mean it's it's just an extraordinary like you said, instrumental track where, you know, Buckwheat kind of, you know, you know, shows off what he and his band can do. And I mean, um, they were just, uh, I mean, I guess they are, I mean, I mean, I, I'm not sure if the, the lineup that was on this album is the same lineup he has. Now, I mean, it's possible. I'm, I imagine, but they, they were just amazing. I mean, you know, the, the way they played together and, you know, the, the way they could set a festive mood with the music that they played. And I mean, that's pretty much what, what Zydeco is, is kind of leaning towards. I mean, you know, cause I mean, you have, you know, some Zydeco 
that can get, I guess, what you would call kind of bluesy. And that that's another thing, too, about Texas and, and Louisiana is that the blues and Zydeco almost will walk hand in hand at times, you know, whereas, you know, blues obviously is going to lean towards, you know, kind of, you know, the moody, the brokenhearted, the, the downtrodden. But Zydeco is definitely always going to lead towards, you know, you know, joyous celebration, upbeat, the partying. I mean, and I mean partying like in in a furious manner. I mean, when you, I mean when you think of a city like New Orleans, you know, that is. I mean, it's just one of those cities that that will they will party twenty four hours a day, at the drop of a hat. <laughs> you know, I mean they party at the funerals. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, that's true. I mean, and and Zydeco is just is is just key for for certain things like that. And I mean. I mean, jazz, too, because, I mean, obviously, you know, the birthplace of jazz, you know, New Orleans. But but Zydeco is it's sort of an extension of that in a lot of ways where Zydeco takes from the blues and it also takes from polka, obviously, and sometimes even, you know, rhythm and blues and maybe even country a little bit, too. I mean, you know, so many Zydeco players, I mean, when you see them, they look they just look like cowboys, you know, a guy that. You know, he didn't even come on in a car. He rode up on a horse. I mean, you know, with <laughs> boots and, and a cowboy hat. I mean, you know, Zydeco kind of is, is, is like a mix or, or, or a gumbo, even, if you will, of a, a lot of different things uh, when it comes to music. Um, and uh, like I said, so many different guys in, in Zydeco music. I mean, Bojack, uh, the late Bojack and uh, Stepperito and, you know, a lot of these guys now that, that are still doing it. I mean... I, I think a lot of that, a, a lot of it comes back to to buckwheat. I mean, you know, just just one yeah. of those guys that he's like almost like the godfather of Zydeco, if you will. I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I I've heard that a few places here and there, but you know, he's he's just got Zydeco in the palm of his hand. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, it's a gumbo. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's check out this last track from Buckwheat Zydeco. This is. Zydeco La Louisiane.
And we just heard Zydeco, La Louisiane. And we're going to move on to Buffalo Springfield, their retrospective, released in 1969. And uh, this was a group that uh, really was a launching pad for uh, a few great careers. Oh, yeah. Uh, namely, uh, notably, Stephen Stills, Neil Young uh, were, I think, the two biggest ones. Also, um, Jim Messina was another one. Um, who went on to perform with uh, 80s soundtrack super maven Kenny, <laughs> Kenny Loggins. Yeah, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, um, Buffalo Springfield, you know, really only together a couple years um, from uh, I think 66 to uh, 68. And uh, only given that they were they were together for only a, a few years, you know their wide ranging influence on other artists is is really kind of amazing. Yeah, and especially that period where it was basically like the British invasion. Uh, you know, for a group like that to have success and and have it in such a short period was yeah was quite a quite a feat. Um, and to mix all sorts of, of sounds uh, in their music as well, that where it stayed American. I mean, they weren't like an American group that was kind of, you know, trying to jump into the whole British invasion thing. You know, they were, I mean, they were their, you know, roots type American sound, you know, all their own, so to speak, I guess. So Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think they influenced um, a lot of artists, a lot of bands that came after them. And uh, we're going to start with this track for what it's worth. This was their big, their biggest hit. And uh, it was sort of like an anthem for like everything that was going on at that time in the late 60s. Yeah. Uh, it came like a political anthem and a war anthem or anti-war anthem, I should say. And um, and uh, it just kind of exploded, you know, this this song. Um, and whenever I hear this song, you just can't, you immediately just get all those images in your head of Woodstock and protests and all that stuff. You know, yeah. right when I hear this song, those images come into my head immediately. You know, it's yeah. almost like they can't be divorced from the song. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. This is, this is one of those songs that it kind of defines the, the times at which it was released. And, and apparently, that was not their original intention um, with this song. It, it, when I read about it, they had a much more deliberate idea of what they were, you know, kind of going at. Uh, I, from what I read, they they used to perform like in these various clubs in uh, in I guess in California where they were, uh, or Los Angeles in that in that area. I guess along the sunset strip and they they had uh people in the neighborhood uh who they I guess they passed this this strict law or curfew that kept music from being played live after 10 p.m which pretty much would annihilate the this whole live and club scene in that area and apparently that's that's where the the initial inspiration you know after they they decided to kind of organize like a protest uh, 
against that law, you know, they they had people come out and, you know, I guess at this, it looks like there was a, a rally at a club, Pandora's Box. Um, it was on a, like Sunset Boulevard. And uh, after that protest, uh, you know, there was like a like a, a thousand people that, that showed up. You know, it, it, it sort of started this like spearhead movement of, of people kind of, you know, organizing to, you know, keep, you know, the, you know, live music and, and club music going, you know, to, to sort of turn the, the, the tide of that original law or curfew or whatever. I mean, I, when I first heard this song, like you said, I mean, I, I think of all the things that were going on, like especially like the Vietnam War. I thought that's originally what what that song was about, but apparently it wasn't. Um, you know, it was just about something else that that kind of you know sort of snowballed you know with all the different things that were going on you know with you know like i said the vietnam war and and you know you know sort of like you know peaceful protests that you know the police would come out and obviously you know take people to jail and beat some people up and you know uh, reading about the, the, I guess the original protest, it says that, uh, you know, there were, I mean, I mean, I, they're in California, obviously, so that's, you know, or Los Angeles, there are a lot of people, and, you know, famous people that, it looks like Jack Nicholson was there, uh, Pia Fonda, there, there were some of the people who got, got arrested, you know, initially, you know, to help with the protest. Um, but I, like I said, I, I, I really didn't know about the original inspiration for the song and, and i guess they 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 put the song out originally as a single you know just by itself yeah um and um you know just uh like you said it, it is one of those songs that you you cannot hear it you know without thinking about you know the like you know civil rights movement all all sorts of things that were going on at that time i mean you know all all sorts of you know, civil unrest and, you know, people protesting and, you know, people being upset about, you know, all sorts of stuff. I mean, right. it, it was just like an anthem, like you said, I mean, for, for that era. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. I mean, like you said, the, the, yeah, the history of the song is really interesting and in what it was originally written for, but yeah, I think you're right. It, it, it became this anthem that just, represented all the change and protests and sort of active uh, participation, you know, that was going on at the time. So yeah, let's listen to this. Uh, this is For What It's Worth by Buffalo Springfield. There's something happening here what it is ain't exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going being wrong Nobody's right if everybody's wrong 
young people speaking their minds Are getting so much resistance from behind Time we stop, hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down And that was For What It's Worth. And we're going to move on to Kind Woman. And this is a song um, that is, you know, it's definitely it's not as profound and it's not as uh, far reaching as For What It's Worth. But this is a, a song by Richie Fure. Fure? I don't know how to say his last name. Um, and, uh, you know, I this song is sort of a kind of a low key kind of country inspired song um but i think it had a different kind of influence you know because this this kind of song you know you'll hear this kind of song in later groups uh like the band or jackson brown or the eagles or any of these sort of thing and and they all did songs like this you know this this country inspired country flavored uh sort of low-key songs but you know this was before them this is before all those all those groups, groups the, the, yeah. the Almond Brothers, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, so you know, I thought this kind of, you know, it's a it's a good song, a nice song, but I thought it kind of had a different sort of influence, you know, rather than for what it's worth. For what it's worth is such a had a strong impact socially, but Kind Woman, I think, had a special kind of musical influence or legacy that it left. Yeah, you know. Um, what did you think of this kind well, of? Well, I, I I totally agree with you. I mean, when you think about like all those groups that you you just named off, it's, it's okay, like, especially like the Eagles, because when I hear this song, that's what I hear. I, I hear it influencing them in a very strong way. It sounds a lot like what what they would do, where they would kind of take, you know, harmonies and melodies, and and not necessarily lean towards you know traditional rock and roll sensibility but kind of pull you know some some country influence and some some folk influence and 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 it could be you know um uh uh also a considerable uh inspiration for somebody we talked about on our last podcast uh uh jackson brown i I hear him too yeah you know and it's just that 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 whole you know you know kind of you know California easy living, you know, easy loving type sound. If, if that makes sense, uh, I, I hear their influence going on, like you said, to to bring a lot of other bands kind of into the light of of what this sound is. You know, I guess I guess you I guess you would call it country rock, you know, or bluesy rock, or you know, it. But it it's it's something that you know, like you said, it. It's, it's worth taking note of uh, because there weren't a lot of groups that that had that sound really that were all that popular at the time. And uh, to have the mix of, of musicians, like you said, to just kind of be together for a minute and then, um, you know, kind of be done. They, they put out some really great, great material in those in those years. Um, and I and apparently I, I I think they're still they're still touring. I, I there's a lady that that I I I talk to on Facebook uh, occasionally. 
she just saw them. I want to say here. Uh, I don't. Know, I don't know if it was in Houston. It was somewhere here in Texas where where she she was talking about going to see Buffalo Springfield. It's like well, really? I didn't really. I didn't even know they were still together. <laughs> you know? Yeah, me, ne- or, me neither. Or what the lineup consisted of, but she—I mean, she she had pictures of her tickets and everything. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask her about that. I, I started to try to say something to her before we, you know, we got to talking today, but I I I totally got sidetracked. But anyway, huh, interesting. Uh, but apparently, yeah, they they are they are still on the road. You know, still wow. doing their thing. So. Okay, well, um, yeah, let's check this out. This second track from Buffalo Springfield. This is Kind Woman. Got a good reason for loving you. It's an old-fashioned sign. I kind of get to feeling like Mm, you know when Fell in love first time just heard kind woman by buffalo springfield and we move on to our last album of the day this is the bulgarian women's national radio and television chorus the album le mister de voix bulgar <laughs> it's french <laughs> released 1987 um you know this had an interesting history you know it was released in 1987 in the united states but this was originally recorded in 1975. Um, it's a project spearheaded by ethnomusicologist Marcel uh, Selier. I think I'm saying that's right. And a composer, Bulgarian composer, Philip Kotev. Um, it was discovered in the 80s by a Bauhaus singer, Peter Murphy. And yeah. uh, passed on to... Uh, founder of British label 4AD Records in in like a like a fourth generation cassette tape, and that's something. Yeah, and he acquired the rights uh, to this and re-released it in 1986, and then finally it was released in the United States on the Nunsuch label uh, in 1987. So man, a long long time to get to the United States, uh, more than a decade. And, uh, you know, I can, I can understand what Peter Murphy probably heard in this. It was probably the same reaction I had was, 
you know, wow, I've never heard anything like this. Yeah. And it's so good. And these singers are so incredibly good. It's, yeah. and it's just so unique. And, uh, yeah, yeah. What what did you you said that um, you discovered this back close to when it was actually released? I just discovered it, but well, the, the, this particular album was was not the one that I, I listened to. It was it was a different one, um, and I it, it is uh, it is still available. In uh, it, I I I'm drawing a blank on the title. I I mean it's it's downstairs in my office that that album, but it's. The the first song on the album is uh, it's it's called Seiko Fali and um, I remember the the my initial exposure to this and I mean you're gonna laugh um, back at the retail music store where we, we used to work we had a a, a thing we called sound check um, where there would be like ten albums that would come out usually a month that. You know, somebody would vote on and say, you know, hey, these are 10 new records that are kind of good. You know, we're going to put them on sale, check them out. You know, they, there would be like a little booth where you could go and there'd be headphones and, and yeah. that album would just be on repeat all day. Anyway, this album in particular was was a record of theirs. And I, you know, I looked at it and I was like, what in the world? And I, you know, I took a listen to it. And the first thing I noticed was how how stark the vocal harmonies were between the members of the choir. I mean, I mean, it was, it was, it was haunting <laughs> how, yeah. how beautiful it was. I mean, I had never heard anything like it and especially for it to be a complete acapella recording of all these women, a very, a very large choir of, of women, you know, in a traditional you know, kind of Bulgarian garb, if you would, where their their clothes. I mean, they they looked like something out of a, you know, this movie that. I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't even know what age to call it from, but I mean, they they didn't look like you know people dressed nowadays. Yeah. And and the way they sounded, I mean, I mean, it was just crazy. And then, like you said, the the way their music came to light uh you know peter murphy rolling with a a fourth generation apparently a fourth generation cassette that was just some some old you know laid over whatever i mean and they're doing these old bulgarian folk songs i mean the songs that are just as old as you don't know what and um you know he, him giving it to ivo from from 4ad records and it, and then it coming to light there, and then them getting signed to, you know, I think the label they were on was like Fontana or something, and then and and them just becoming like this worldwide phenomena, from that point on is it's an amazing, an amazing story, um, and I mean I, I just I'm I'm grateful to to have heard them when I did because um, it was just one of those things like you said I. I'd never heard anything like them. Just, just amazing, the way their vocals mix together and kind of bring you, you know, to a different time. You know, even though we're, you know, in the I guess you call twentieth century. I mean, their, their, their music sounds, you know, so. Um, 
I don't want to say ancient. That's really not the right word. Um, it, it sounds like such a, a, a traditional. It's it's like a, such a traditional music from such a different time. Uh, yeah. But but the way they they did it, it doesn't sound like they've changed anything. I mean, they they they've kept the tradition of what their music was, of what the music was then, and and brought it to you know us now, you know. And I mean, it's you know they they are they are awesome. I mean, you know, for I mean, and on the surface, I mean, when you look at you know how they look and how they dress and. You know, it's it's definitely different, but the you know, I mean, don't be fooled, don't be fooled. I mean, they they can really sing. I mean, they they have a vocal harmony like nobody. I mean, just like I said, it, at at times it's so beautiful, it's it is literally haunting. I don't say that about about anybody yeah, <laughs> singing, yeah. but that's that's the only thing I can think of when I think of their the way they harmonize. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're right. It sounds. It does sound ancient, but it's weird because it sounds ancient and at the same time it sounds so modern. Yes. In a lot of the ways, you know, the the harmonies. You know, we're going to start with this uh, this track in to the audience. I'm not going to be pronouncing these tracks right. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> telling you right now. But um, it looks like a Sable Yalo Mi Agonse. Okay. Um, that's the first track yeah. we're going to play. And... Um, you know, a lot of this music, Hungarian, Eastern European, uh, comes from a sort of gypsy music tradition. I think this is the same. And uh, a lot of ethnomusicologists and anthropologists think that gypsies originated it from India. That's the current theory, and that they sort of worked their way into uh, Eastern Europe and then Western Europe. And uh, if that's true, you can really hear that in here, especially in the vocal soloist. Um, that's uh, that's singing. So this this one features yeah this this solo singer against the choir of women and the harmony. We keep talking about the harmony, but it's so removed from uh, traditional tonal harmony that you would hear in most choral music or any other music. Yeah. Um. You know the our traditional tonal harmony, especially in in vocal music. Uh, really focuses on these consonant intervals and thirds and sixths uh, and octaves. Um, this harmony is, I like the word you use, stark. I mean, it, it focuses a lot on the perfect intervals, fourths and fifths. We get a lot of seconds, some tritones in there, a lot of harmonies that are like seconds right next to each other, groups of seconds. So you get these sort of clustered really close you know harmonies but they're just so unique and so beautiful and like you said yeah. haunting yeah. and man it is not easy to tune harmonies like this no no and with I, vocalists the, yeah. the, the thing i i am i am not a musicologist at all you know i i totally am not i mean in a sense that that you are i mean with, with respect to what you do but what I think of when I think of how their their harmonies are, it's like somebody taking a brick and throwing it through a, a, a plate glass window and the, the shattering of the window being so immaculate and perfect, almost like a snowflake. That's that's almost kind of like what their music is like to me, because most of the time when you see a window and it's not broken, I mean, it's it's fine the way it is. 
But when you take something and you and you shatter it, most of the time it, it's not gonna be fine. But with them, their their so-called fractured stark state, it is. And I mean, it, it shouldn't be, but it, it it really is. I mean, I I can't think of any other analogy to to kind of bring up except for the the whole broken window thing. I mean, it, their music is like a a beautifully broken glass window that that you know you don't often ever see you know anywhere um yeah yeah that's a really cool way to look at it (laughs) just uh i mean that's that's the first thing i think of where they they're it's almost like when they're singing you know they're they're all on these different levels where they they can't even hear each other but somehow or another it all comes together you know and um you know just very 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 beautiful women's chorus if i've ever heard one i mean you know they're 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 very unique and in a very cool way even though i mean like i said on the surface when you look at them i mean they just i mean it's it's like something you know like you said out of this you know gypsy movie you know where they you know they they cast all these people that are locals but they you know they they have a very very potent beautiful harmonic sound oh yeah yeah, I mean, as as a composer, you know, and, and someone who's written for choir before, I mean, I just listen to this music and I just I just want to get into it and, you know, see exactly how they're getting into and out of all these harmonies and stuff vocally. And it's just it's fascinating. But oh, yeah. um, let's check this out. This first track uh, from the Bulgarian Women's National Radio and Television Chorus. This is Sable Yalo Mi Agonse.
And we just heard it's sable yellow blah blah blah, blah. and we're going yeah. to move on to <laughs> I, I always I always try to and I, I do that too. What I try to do is I try to listen to the song as they pronounce it. And I, oh, oh that's how they say it. And then I try to say it and I, <laughs> right. I mess it up again. <laughs> so Yeah. So we're gonna move on to this last track for this week, Aragon Diado. And uh I think the Indian sound, and this is very strong, um, the, the possible connection to Indian music, yeah, uh, is very strong in this one. This one is, uh, you know, really fast and rhythmic, uh, very exciting. You know, they've got some percussion in here, like a drum and sort of a sort of a castanet-like instrument. Uh, there's mm-hmm. like finger snapping going on. There's a vocal, like vocal rhythmic sounds, like you know, tomataka taka taka. You know, these sort of rhythmic sounds with the voice yeah uh, just a really Indian music yeah yeah really cool piece yeah what do you think of this one yeah I, I I agree with you I mean I I think the 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 influence of of the the Indian sound like you said is very strong here um it's one of the tracks where you know the 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 vocal and the the musical part the the way they play off each other it 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 can become even more complicated in the harmonic arrangement. And again, they make it work. I mean, it's the, the mind. And like you said, I, I would like to get into the, the arrangement of, of, of who wrote a lot of these songs and the tracks, which some of them are, I mean, they are very old, you know, where it's, it's trying to trace them back, you know, might, you know, kind of be a task in itself. But I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things where you really want to discover, you know, what was going on in the mind of the person who wrote some of this stuff where it's, it's not traditional to anything I've ever heard, but it is, it is very easy to love. I mean, if you, if you are a music lover, someone who loves harmony, especially the, 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 the complex harmony where it, it molds together, I mean, in a, in a very beautiful soothing manner in the way that they do it um you know I, i'm i'm with you i would really love to to get down into the the history of a lot of these songs yeah um well and find out where they came from well yeah i mean you know when you're dealing with an ethnomusicologist the guy who spearheaded this uh this project um he you know an ethnomusicologist is going to want to keep things as close to traditional as possible, almost like recording like a, like a historical document, you know? Yeah. And so I, I imagine this is, is pretty close to how it is, you know? And the thing is why it sounds so out there to us. And so new is it's not based on Western European harmony, which is basically all of the music that we are familiar with is based on Western European harmony. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, this is combining uh, a lot of different influences. The uh, Bulgaria's uh, Thracian influence, which goes back <laughs> thousands of years. Uh, you know, Bulgarian autumn, uh, influences from uh, being under Ottoman and Byzantine rule. These are all Eastern European and Middle Eastern influence. You know, it has is not Western harmony. And yeah. I think that's why we find it so uh, fresh and unusual and, um, yeah, 
Yeah, I, I think it's it's really, and I think that's why because it's been preserved and it hasn't. They didn't try to inject it with Western sensibilities, which which know? is a good idea. They, yeah, the the book discusses some other offshoots of of this original choir that are much less thrilling, um, and it, and it's because of what you just said, where the the Western influence, you know, sort of you know, waters it down or makes it makes it something that it is not originally meant to be. And I mean, you know, when when people are going to try to, you know, cash in on whatever, I mean, obviously, there's the the notion to, hey, let's just, you know, consider the fact that we're here to make money. And if we have to change it, so be it. And with something like this, it's it's painfully obvious when you don't have what is the the original i mean if you're looking at it and that's something i i appreciate about uh this choir even more where their style is is not something that is easy to copy i mean you know you can try if you want to but to make it the traditional you know style of songs i mean you have to really work at this i mean it's not something you're going to do you know kind of halfway and uh like i said that's something that that makes me appreciate them all the more i mean to have a a very large choir of of anyone you know you know women men you know whatever and have the harmonies as broken up and and different as this and to make it you know work so beautifully it takes a lot of work you know where it's I'm sure that it's it's demanding in a sense to where they almost have to dedicate a large portion of their lives, you know, practicing and being on the road. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I'm sure it is not easy. I mean, yeah. I, I've been in choirs before where, you know, to make it work even on a, you know, I guess what you would call a, a, a traditional harmonic sense, it, it that's not always easy when you have different parts. They have a very big choir and you know they they have all sorts of stuff going on you know where things are disjointed seemingly but you know when when it all comes together i mean i i'm I'm sure that you know when when they have something that's not right i mean it's 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 very obvious too so you know they there's a lot of dedication i'm sure that went into you know making making these recordings uh, and I, I I really really just love the uh, the fact that I, I was able to kind of hear this back when I I did and and kind of taken on with me some I guess twenty years later um, to come to this point you know because I I know when when I saw him in the book I was like oh yeah I, I know them <laughs> you know? <laughs> so you know just awesome. just a just a fun a, a fun moment to get to this point in, in the book. Yeah, awesome. Okay, well, let's check out this last track. Uh, this is Ergon Diado. <laughs> Na tri 
And we just heard Ergon Diado by the Bulgarian Women's National Radio and Television Chorus. And that's going to do it for this week, episode number 30 of the 1000 Recordings podcast. If you'd like to email us, send us an email to 1000recordingspodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to join us on Twitter, join us there at twitter.com slash 1000rp. You can look at our website at 1000rp.blogspot.com. And on our website, we have links to all the recordings that we play. And we ask you to purchase these recordings and not download them uh, for free. And uh, if you would like to help us out and help us with the uh, show and expenses of the show, you can use our Amazon.com links on the website to purchase these albums. You can also find out how you can sponsor the show on the website. And uh, you can join us on Facebook as well. Uh, Also, we ask if you have a chance and you like the show or even don't like it, head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. And uh, that will uh, greatly help us in visibility, finding new listeners. And we will read your five-star review on the podcast. So... We might even read if it's not a five-star Yeah, even if, if it's probably it's a one-star review, we'd, we'd read that. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're fair. <laughs> yeah. And uh, next week, on the next week's show, we're going to start it off with Solomon Burke, uh, R&B artist. Yep, great, great soul singer, R&B singer, very, very old school, if you will. Uh that uh, that'll be fun. Yeah. And uh, what Marcus Garvey by Burning Spear, uh, reggae group, tra- mm-hmm. traditional uh, sort of national. Well, I don't want to say nationalist. Just looking at the title, Marcus Garvey, that's what came to my mind. But anyway, uh, Burning Spear, awesome reggae group. Uh, R. L. Burnside, uh, blues singer guitarist uh definitely uh <laughs> that will be fun mississippi delta blues uh yeah influence he, there. he's, he's a heavy. unique character man oh yeah yeah there's a lot of stories to tell on him <laughs> um kate bush the kick inside which i i think is her first record um i i got a lot of love for kate bush um She's just one of those people that she's she's so unique in her yeah, talent. Yeah. I mean, I, there's really nobody. I mean, because the whole Tori Amos thing came up when Tori Amos came out. And I, no disrespect to Tori Amos. I like her, but she is not Kate Bush at all. I mean, she's 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 really talented, but but Kate Bush is she's yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, just, th- there's an interesting uh, connection here between Kate Bush. And the last artist that we talked about, the Bulgarian choir. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, three of the more prominent soloists from that group um, also uh, had a, a smaller trio, vocal trio called Trio Bulgarka, and they sang on two Kate Bush albums, The Sensual World and The Red Shoes. Wow, I didn't know that. I, okay, you know, that, and that does not surprise me at all about yeah, her. Yeah, I know, I know. She She's just one of those people... She's like, let's just get into the studio and let's do it. We're, I mean, I don't care, you know, you know where where the influences come from. If it sounds good to me, 
I mean, we're going to put it on. I mean, she's obviously one of those people that, you know what I mean? We're obviously this, it's not next week, it's this week, but she, um, she's talented in her own right where she, she plays a, a variety of instruments. She has a, an amazing voice and an amazing, you know, songwriting ability, but she just, she has this amazing vision, um, for making music. And, and like you said, the, to include, you know, you know, an influence like the, the Bulgarian women's choir that, that already just lets you know, I mean, you know, she's, she's not your typical artist at all. Um, has has made lots of records with a variety of people. Uh, obviously, David Gilmore is a, you know, she has strong ties with him from Pink Floyd. Um, she made a song with Prince that I love that was on on the Red Shoes, um, which I I love that album. I, I, both those albums, Central World and Red Shoes. Red Shoes is one of those records that I mean, going back to the whole retail music thing. I actually got to push that record. Uh, so to speak, where when it came out, I was I was there, and I mean that was a lot of fun. Um, but anyway, yeah, Kate Bush, that'll be that'll be a lot of fun talking about her, obviously. Oh yeah. Uh, then then uh, it has an album of William Byrd. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> um, harpsichord music of William Byrd, uh, Renaissance British composer William Byrd, by um, the the legendary uh gustav lanehart who just passed away i think last year uh harpsichordist and uh i'm very very familiar with william bird's music i i like william bird's music a lot um and uh yeah um cool we'll check that I, I out <laughs> i love i love the harpsichord though so that that'll be fun yeah, yeah. I actually, you know, in graduate school, I took an entire course on William Byrd. <laughs> wow, a whole class on William. So Byrd. you are you are really familiar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really familiar. So, uh, yeah. So we're gonna uh, end with that next week, and um, yeah. Until then, uh, you got anything else to add before we go for this week? No, it's it's been good to get back into it. Yeah, um, yeah. I know. Obviously, there's there's been a lot of stuff that went on. You know, last couple of weeks transpired uh, different, you know, events in the news, which which are escaping me right now. But uh, I guess we can we can talk about that next week. So, okay. Well, until next week, um, and we'll come up back with a you know new cool stuff for you guys. Um, We'll say later. Bye-bye, everybody. Have a great week. Take care. Like, what the hell is he talking about?